Welcome once again to Devotional. This is Pastor Ariel. We are starting a brand new lesson, lesson number five for October 22nd, 27th through November 2nd. This is lesson number one for Sabbath, October 27th. Sorry about that number mix up. <laughs> um, anyways, uh, this lesson uh, piggybacks on last week's lesson. But now it, it's focusing on the experience of unity in the early church. And the lesson is not what I thought it was going to be. I thought that the lesson was just going to highlight how united, you know, how together the early church was. Rather, the lesson is going to focus on how that took place. What fueled, what energized that unity? Where did it come from? And oddly enough, in a very unsuspected place uh, on Sabbath afternoon, we find that God can use some of the, the darkest experiences in our lives to unite us. Um, it, the, the Bible memory verse comes from Acts 2.42, and it mentions four things, four experiences that um, allowed this early Christian church believers to stay united. Uh, Acts 2.42 says, And they, the early church, continued steadfastly in four things, the apostles' teachings, fellowship, breaking of bread, and in prayers. Now, this experience is what sustained their unity. But what provoked it? What caused this unity? Um, the author of the lesson says that it is experience. A common experience tied their hearts together. And uh, Dr. Fortin points to the origins of our church as some of the Adventists. It, to me, it was a, a fresh insight to realize that what made our pioneers so closely knit to one another was the great disappointment. The great disappointment of waiting for Jesus' Jesus's second coming. You have to understand, you know, we, we look at it and say, oh, they, they just got a prophetic date wrong. This is huge. This is not just a date wrong. This is the, the closure of human history. You have to understand that many of the people that were waiting for Jesus' second coming were not just waiting for that event, but also expecting everything that comes with it. And we are told that when Jesus would come, those that accepted him, those that are asleep in Christ, would be resurrected. There were people standing by gravesides where they had placed their siblings, their uh, young children, their parents, individuals that went through the bitter experience of goodbye and see, seeing their loved ones, you know, covered in six foot of, of soil. That day, October 22, 1844, this was going to be the closure of the experience of death, sin, pain, and tears. That's what it means by great disappointment. And because of that, because it, that did not happen, the, reuni the reuniting with my child, my parents, my loved one, my spouse, because that did not happen and Jesus is not here and that sin is done, this, this planet of darkness and the history of sin and darkness is over, that was bitter and deep and, and painful. And out of that, I wrote it down at the bottom of my lesson. It says, from great disappointment came a great unifying experience. Because the, the pioneers, our pioneers, the Seventh-day Adventist pioneers, decided to go back to the Bible with broken hearts, with lots of questions in their minds, struggling with the darkness of doubts pressing in their minds. They came to the Word of God. They wrestled with the Word of God. And out of that came a precious experience. A precious experience that no one could take away that united their hearts one to another. Now, you don't have to have a, an experience of that nature to experience the oneness of that nature. Um, 
because we can maintain it, right? We can sustain it. Um, that was the or, how it originated. And it's uh, interesting, this, interestingly, the same place where the disciples originated their, their unity, unifying experience. They were all, before they were all in one accord in the upper room in Pentecost, they were all in one accord, terrified, <laughs> afraid, because Jesus had died. That was their huge, great disappointment. But Jesus came to them at that place as they were huddled, terrified. And he began to explain to them the scriptures and to correct their presuppositions, their wrong assumptions on scriptures, and realize that this was just part of what had been told all along. Carbon copy of what happened in 1844. So that unifying experience, you see, affected them. But that was the genesis. That was the beginning of it. How is that unity sustained? We will look at this week, those four components. The steadfastly going in, uh, continuing in the apostles' teachings, fellowship, breaking of bread, and in prayers. But before we move uh, into those elements, I want to have one last thought that is, is brought out uh, implicitly. It's not explicit in the lesson. I caught it as I kept reading the last paragraph on Sabbath afternoon lesson. It says, I would insist that fellowship is a particularly important element in corporate worship. There is no substitute. I'm going to read that again. I would insist that fellowship is a particularly important element in corporate worship. Did you catch it? I didn't, so don't feel bad if you didn't either. I read that over and over trying to digest it, and he hit me. Fellowship is an element or a part of corporate worship, which means that if I come to church hoping to not connect with anyone, coming in the back and going back home, um, not staying, you know, when the church has meals or opportunities to meet outside of worship time, you know, outside of the weekend, outside of Sabbath morning. If I'm not really invested in or interested in the fellowship component of church, chances are I'm not worshiping either. Because fellowship is an element of corporate worship, not something separate, not something optional. Um, I'm going to just worship today in church, but I'm not going to have fellowship impossible. Fellowship is an intrinsic part of worship and you cannot separate the two and to avoid fellowship is to avoid worship. That's thought that was mind-blowing. I never realized it that way. How Jesus makes this um, a, a unified experience. You cannot have fellowship without worshiping. You know, the, the, the last paragraph finishes with how Jesus, he brings one soul out of darkness and saves them he never leaves that soul alone, but unites that human being uh, to another. And if you read John chapter 1, verses 35 through 39, John chapter 1, verses 35 through 39, then verse 40 through 42, and verses 43 and through 46, you see John the Baptist pointing people to Jesus, and then Andrew, one of John the, John the Baptist's disciples, hearing John the Baptist point to Jesus, he decides to follow Jesus. And Jesus receives them and fellowships with them. But then immediately one of them named Andrew brings his brother to Christ. Then you see later on Philip being approached by Jesus, being told, follow me. But then immediately Philip goes and gets John, uh, Nathaniel, to go and follow him. And so there is this intrinsic, unavoidable uh, element of fellowship. You and I cannot experience church as islands. Uh, we cannot experience church in bubbles. Those are all counterfeits. There is no substitute for true worship. And fellowship is at the heart of true worship. 
So next weekend, this coming Sabbath, make up your mind. I will not just go in there to sing and hear a good sermon. I will go in there to experience not just worship, but fellowship. I want the whole experience. I don't want a substitute. I want the real thing.